Okay, 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 okay. Welcome to the Coogan Chronicles podcast. A podcast where two former child actors interview other former child actors. Did I just punch you in the face with that screen? Oh, that was a good one. That was a really good yeah. one, Chris. Well, we interview people about what it was like growing up in the spotlight and how it affected the rest of their lives. And today we talk to Madeline Zima. The Madeline Zima, a wonderful actress that I've known um, since I was a kid. AJ, you've also known Madeline. Um, yeah, for years since yeah, we were for a teenagers. Long time. Yeah, uh, and it was really nice to reconnect with her here. And we will tell you a bit more about her in a moment. But before we do, here's what I wanted to talk about beforehand, AJ. What do you got, Chris? I wanted to talk about the hard lesson I learned when we talked to Madeline. Okay. I want to talk about... I guess the, as we talk to people, um, the idea of soliciting trashy, gossipy parts of people's stories. And I think why I want to bring it up maybe like that is that when we talked to Madeline, she told us, you know, um, a lot about her life and she's got so much to tell. And one thing that she mentioned was like having a hard time working with somebody in particular, but she didn't want to say who that was and exactly what happened in ways. And I- What did you do, Chris? Well, I pushed. I, I totally pushed. But, well, why not? Part of it is because I, well, here's the all the thought process and why I just want to be transparent with listeners about it, right? Is that we're learning a new medium and we're learning a new craft here to interview people and interviewing people we know. It's weird. You know, there's a, there is a certain weirdness asking people, friends, things and navigating answers with them that we have to navigate a little differently just being part of a podcast and not like in the backyard hanging out. Yeah. I mean, I cringe at the idea of asking somebody a question that makes them uncomfortable. You You just want everything hunky-dory. You just want everybody happy. You want everybody fed. You want everybody sitting there with a smile on their face and then they can go home. We didn't have to talk about anything serious. We just, we just enjoyed each other's company for a minute and that was it. Yeah. You just want yeah, a few exactly. laughs and then you want to stop it all. Yeah. Not I, not I, I, I want the whole, well, that's I something I, the whole pie, you know? Yeah. I want to I want explore the, that with you. So what is your motivation? If you're being honest, what's your motivation in asking those hard questions or pushing people when maybe they're a little bit resistant? Well, that's where this evolved here, which is my original motivation as we started approaching how we think about these conversations is I just wanted honesty. I just really, you know, was looking to provide someone with a space and an opportunity and hopefully a comfortability to be open and be honest about what their real experience was as a kid and into their, you know, and the rest of their life. But what I realized is, you know, I started to feel a little beholden. My tug of war here where that motivation started to change is I got into this tug of war thinking I'm a little beholden to listeners and then also our guests. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realized there's a small conflict of interest. There's what perhaps someone listening might want to hear and that I should probably ask on their behalf. And then also what is what someone's telling me and where I can gauge they are comfortable or uncomfortable answering and in what you, ways. I understand where you're coming from, but you know what I think the answer is to this? I think it's to use yourself as a gauge, remove the audience from the equation and mm push on the things that are really important to you to know about that you feel like it's appropriate in pushing somebody for those answers. If it's something that you really want to know about, I support you in But here's the hard part. There. I feel like I totally get that. And I think that is a great approach. The hard part is like, for me, I feel like a jaded former kid actor. Like I'm like, I don't know how many stories I'm going to hear that are going to be that shocking or that I don't understand already, even when they start telling me some stories. So I, it's not that I, I don't know if my 
fascination or interest is going to be the best gauge for me. Well, I, I, would, I just want to push back on you a little bit on that because if it is interesting to you, that must mean it's really stinking. It's really good. Well, that's the thing is, I don't know if what Madeline was telling us was that interesting to me. I think I just pushed because I thought, well, let's get honest. Let's get our hands dirty. Yes, let's get honest. Let's but, screw that then. Well, no, it, screw it. I, exactly. And that's what I think I really learned here is I realized that we need that, you know, I need to for sure take a definitive stand on where, what kind of information I'm actually trying to solicit from people when, when we're talking to them. And I think for sure, what I realize is that we don't want to solicit anything trashy. We don't want to, so we're not looking for something that, um, I don't know, that feels gossipy or like a shitty media, you know, internet. Chris, if I can quote you for a second, you you know, you are the person that said, at least in our opening episode, that we are not doing this as a public service announcement. Oh, no, exactly. So really we're doing this for ourselves. So we might as well die because, because we're curious, because we're genuinely curious about the lives of former child actors and that portion of the lives of our friends as well. Questions we've never asked for the two of us. The reason we got into this is it's an endlessly fascinating subject matter. It's something that we're both intimately a part of and uncovering these stories and peeling back the layers of the onion here is fascinating. So you know, I think for us drilling down into the stories that surprise us, that really get us excited and get us super curious is where we should focus. And the other stuff, we can just kind of leave it be. Amen. I think that's a, maybe that's the exact way to say it and to reiterate it. I think it just felt so important to me to open up with what I felt I learned from talking with Madeline for a couple hours and where I all of a sudden got this clarity as to like, look, man, if you, if you want people's stories and information, you know, it, you, you can't push it towards uh, something that feels trashy. That's all, you know, we're just, it feels genuine and, and honest. And if it can be said without sounding trashy, great, you know, like, let's just go with that. Yeah, that's the way it should go. And I just feel like I finally solidified that take. Um, Aren't you glad we had this talk? I am. I'm so glad, AJ. You know what? I feel like a better, wholer person. I feel full. I feel like a much better person now. So thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad right, you could so- just sit there and remain happy and let everybody giggle and leave the party and nobody had to talk about anything serious. I'm glad so, you get your way. So without further ado. Well, wait, we got to introduce Madeline Zima a little better than that. I just feel Madeline- like everybody knows her, but yeah, give her some, give them some You're hype. right. I, it'd be surprised if you don't know Madeline Zima's work because she has been working for forever. She has so far takes the record for starting at two years old. So I don't know if anybody's going to beat that, but she uh, was in Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. She was the little girl. I love that movie. I watched that movie. Maybe only Home Alone have I seen more than Mr. Nanny. More times. Yeah. We should get you a poster. You need that somewhere in your place. Uh, You need a, it it was Mr. Nanny. She also did The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which was classic. I saw that way too young. That's one of those movies I snuck in on when my like parents were watching it or something. I should not yeah, have seen that. You shouldn't. Yeah, that's maybe why you're so emotionally damaged. But the but Curtis Hansen did that. Who's this wonderful director? He did Eight Mile as well and L.A. Confidential. So she worked young with this really wonderful director. Uh, and then perhaps she's the most known from doing The Nanny. She was Fran Drescher's daughter on The Nanny, and she did that for eight years, seven or eight years. And she grew up on that show from about six years old to thirteen is when she she did that show. And then she continued working, and she's 
still does to this day. And she's been in things like the last few things she was on Perry Mason that just aired on HBO. And she was on you, the Penn Badgley show. And she was on Twin Peaks, the David Lynch show. And she was on Californication for a long time with David Duchovny. And so she's just been, you know, working and she's um, a real talent and incredibly smart and was uh, almost too quick for us. I feel like a majority of this interview. And so without further ado, Madeline Zima. Okay. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Chris. <laughs> hi. Hey, AJ. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. We're, we're really excited today. And we, you know, we talk a lot about how we're going to approach each person that we're interviewing. But with you, we realized you seemed really excited to have this conversation. And that to us, not everybody has that reaction. I don't know if you know that a lot of people seem very timid and or like, wait, what are you guys trying to get into? But you seem really gung ho. And that for us is like, I don't know what that means exactly, but we just kind of today we were like, let's just give you the mic and let you run with this. Just run the show for us. I Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, first of all, I'm just excited to be a part of anything these days. I don't know yeah. if you guys know, it's been like a real slow year. First of all, I feel like I've had such a unique experience and I'm still somehow not a drug addict and mm -hmm. not bitter. So I feel like that's have like- Have you ever been to jail? No, never been to oh, jail. See, never, never been to jail. Never held up a 7-Eleven. So. Never filed for bankruptcy. Never buried a, never never buried a body somewhere. No, 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 no. I'm kind of boring, almost like boringly normal. But you also see I've had a really unique experience. And my guess too, here's, okay, for anyone that has no idea, and we'll get into a lot of these details in a, in a bit, but you also, you like, one, you started acting at two is what That's I read. Right. That's correct. You got it right, Chris. Well, good. Well, look, it's, it's, I don't know if you, you've won the contest. Like there's nobody, unless you started acting in the womb, I don't know who you, you beat everybody. I don't know if we'll ever meet anybody that's acted uh, younger than you. Maybe yeah. the, whoever played the Gerber baby pictures or something for, you know, for the Gerber company. So you, your whole life is this. And my guess, I mean, I said to AJ, I was like, my guess is, is you've experienced literally every facet of the entertainment industry at this point. Oh, I'm man. Sure I mean, like, I accidentally peed in an audition room, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. For I nerves? I was like three, man. I was oh, just yeah. pee and I pissed. I mean, <laughs> like, so I, I've kind of done everything wrong that you could possibly do and then somehow still have managed to get jobs, which is kind of some, some kind of crazy miracle. And then I don't know if that's a miracle. I mean, you're incredibly talented, you know, you're incredibly smart and you seem to always have been very dedicated and very focused. And you're not someone, at least I've ever known. That's like, I don't know, disappeared to Europe for a few years and had some, you know, strange, weird period where you, you got very far from acting or anything. like you've, you've always seemed very plugged into it and it's always mattered to you. And it seems like it's always been a good priority. It has. Am I wrong in thinking that? No, yeah. absolutely right. I mean, I genuinely love it. And, and it's weird because it's meant different things over the years. And I think when I was younger, if I'm really honest, being on a set meant making new friends because I didn't go to school and my only friends were really my sisters. That's kind of like how it is now too. But that's yeah. true. I have some really good, good, lovely friends. Like I've called through the people in LA and have like a nice community of lovely humans now. But I just wanted to hang with people and hear stories. And like, I remember when I was little, like looking at the working actors who would come on to the nanny and mm. They were always seemed to be the smartest, most shiny, 
interesting humans with the best stories. You know, they, they had a good looking life where there was, you know, vacations involved and organization. And I was just like, wow, that would be so amazing to grow up and be like these working. And they all seem to know each other and be supportive of each other. Hmm. So I looked up to the actors on the shows that I was working on and I just wanted to be a working actor. And then I genuinely loved it. And when I was younger, it was, it was about loving it for the hang and really just being like, Oh, I hope there's another kid my age or maybe there'll be a boy I can kiss. And that was really like the, the intent. Yeah. And then it kind of changed where I was like, you know, actually storytelling is this ancient lineage going back into, you know, Greek times and that we tell stories in order to help us survive this life. And especially during the pandemic time, like I realized in a very tangible way, because it's such an intangible job, mm. but a very intangible way, like how important film and escape and TV really is to the human spirit. Because the days that we got to all gather around and watch a movie meant what it used to mean back in the day. It's a very connecting art art form. You know, yeah. it's one thing when you when you where there's painting or even performance art or dancing or things where like, you know, there's certain things you have to see live and there's certain things you have to sort of go into a particularly quiet, almost isolated or, or like a place of solitude to, to connect with the art. But movies and television is a very huge connecting force that you can do from anywhere at any time, from any culture and any place if, of any age. There's a reason why it is what it is in the world and that it is like a cultural bedrock. It's international. It's, yeah. it's, it's, powerful. Well, and Chris, I actually want to jump back maybe even earlier, Madeline, you you opened this whole conversation with this idea saying, I survived, I didn't develop a drug problem, I didn't, you know, have any of these other issues. When you think of the idea of kid actor, is that what comes to mind for you? I mean, I think that that's what the perception is. And I, I've always really railed against that because it's such a disservice to the people who are huge successes. Like nobody ever thinks about like Jodie Foster in terms of like who she is now in terms of the success stories. Yeah. Like people always focus on the child actors that were crash and burn stories mm. and nobody ever goes, oh, you know, Reese Witherspoon was a child actor. Leonardo mm. DiCaprio was a child actor. Ryan Gosling was a child actor. Some of the most... Christian Bale, some of the most brilliant people that I'm inspired by started when they were very young. Ben Affleck, yeah. Casey Affleck, like yeah. these people started when they were kids and nobody focuses on that. Mm. They only focus on like as though child actors are this this time and space where they got exploited by their parents. And then what do we do with them now? And and there is a there is an intense like negativity towards the child actor themselves. Did you ever experience that in your own life, like a stigma around you as a child actor or? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I experienced it on a show when I was an adult working with these people. And I was like, we were all hanging out. We, we were filming up in San Francisco. And one of the guys on the show was a comedian. And when I say comedian, I mean like, was he funny? It's a question. <laughs> <laughs> he thought he was funny. You know, comedian yeah. is a real loose term these days. But yeah. anyway, he <laughs> made a really scathing joke about a child actor. And then I kind of got uncomfortable. He's like, oh, child actors, they're the worst. Ugh. And like somebody else in the room like said something to defend me because he didn't even realize that that would be offensive or that that would pertain to somebody in the room. Yeah. Like I was just like, what what come on guys what is going on and it's a rough industry like that's not to like yeah, that's not no, to totally that's yeah. not to exclude the fact that it is a rough industry and i've definitely experienced 
unusual kinds of abuse and rejection, more rejection than anyone ever experiences in in a lifetime. A lifetime. That's how I feel. I, I feel like I've got about mm. 50 lifetimes of, of rejection and just disrespect. <laughs> like I've just, 100%. I've felt the, the gamut of it. But real fast, just to, to ask you something about something, which is part of the catalyst for this podcast for AJ and I was that, is that we realized that there is this um, child actor, former child actor, just even the term it is a punchline. It's just a punchline in people's minds really easily. And, and you've got this sort of characterized version of that. And there are tons of people like yourself who did act their entire lives and have continued acting successfully into their adulthood and you don't you don't combine those people with that term you know that there's a disconnect there but for you right like you do you know at least like when i did like a random google search just googling your name you know there's no matter how much work you have done as an adult no matter how many things you've done as, as an adult your career still seems and it seems like it might always be tied to some of your work as a kid actor too. Like there was something of like, did you know the girl from you who tied up Penn Badgley is also guess who? And then you slide through like 10 things and it's like the girl from the nanny, you know? And like, and by the way, that article was like, as though I had never done anything in between the, I know, which is, but so it was fine. It's fine. I mean, it yeah. gave me a huge boost and like, people were like, it's so bizarre. The things that that hit or like help your career, I'm always like, what? Yeah, it's so strange, right? Have you been able to fully integrate your child acting career and successes, Madeline, with who you are as an adult now and the work you do as an adult? Or does it feel like two separate lives and you've tried to push that all away? I think that I had a time when there was like in my 20s and my late teens where I tried to push it all away and like have a very complicated relationship with my longest running time as a child on a show. I have a, a very complicated relationship with it because of other jobs that I booked while I was on that show and I was not allowed to get out to do. Mm. And and I was while you were on the nanny and then you booked the other nanny, jobs. I booked giant jobs. And like what? Like what? what did you book? I feel so dumb saying this because people are going to be like, oh, she's still stuck on this thing. But don't. No, no, yeah, no. I booked, I booked the parent trap. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Parent trap. We wow. were in negotiations. I mean, it didn't go through, but I yeah. wasn't allowed to get out to do that. And then there was a couple other jobs as well. One of them. The how does that, when you say you're not allowed to get out, um, like how did. Like, I had to fly to London to do two mm. weeks in London and production wouldn't work around the schedule. Of it. And it just dies right there. You basically, yeah. for, for nobody that has any idea how that works, you go to production and say, can you please, for these two weeks in October, please just, just let me out to go to London and then I'll come back. We'll film everything. And they just say, no, it's too expensive or too and complicated. I, and I called, I called as an 11 year old kid or however old I was, maybe 10. I called big head honchos on the show and nobody took No way. Call. Oh, I love that. And well, they didn't take your calls? There, there is they a, knew because they knew you were asking for something they probably I think that they were just uncomfortable couldn't. and nobody wanted to be a dick to a kid but that they were being a dick to a kid yeah and and that right. didn't realize like that that was like you know would have been a life-changing thing for me and that yeah. I watched the Haley Mills version of the parent trap so it meant something to me too it wasn't just hmm. like I was some kid who was like I got lucky and I didn't know what was going on it was all really intentional and I, I cared about it but anyway I shouldn't be well, no, 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 no. Here's, you're bringing no, up an important point that I would like to touch in, which is an inherent bias in the industry of how kids are treated versus adults. I think that it would be safe to say, and feel free to disagree, that 
if an if an adult had approached production about a part that they wanted to do, they would have been taken more seriously than your career was taken in that moment when you wanted to get out to do something else. And so there's a simultaneous thing going on, which is we want kids to act like professionals, be professionals, make very professional type career choices for their career, for their future, you know, for their life. But yet we are going to have this double standard and not take their careers seriously when it matters most, like you experienced on The Nanny. Would you say that's at least partially accurate? Oh, yeah, 100%. And then the actors who still have that child actor thing aren't as respected as adults. And mm. you desperately crave that respect as like, no, I'm not the kid. Like, you can't you can't dismiss me as though I'm less than a human. I mean, we didn't get paid like we were full humans. We didn't get treated like we were full yeah. human. Yeah. We were treated like That's less the, uh, than human. And that was and that was something that like I was as a very precocious child incredibly aware of and had a lot of resentment and anger towards. In fact, I was more bitter and angry as a young child watching the injustice around me and and the hypocrisy and some of the ugliness. And then as an adult, I've kind of tried to reclaim some of my own innocence as as an adult and and heal that like done a lot of mm. work on myself to heal it and forgive and realize like you know everybody is just doing their best they can and your best and what your idea of somebody's best is not what their best is can you give us examples of that like some of the things you that stuck with you or that that did elicit those emotional responses from you as a kid like what what kind of circumstances were those <laughs> I, could, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I already feel like I'm like I'm already not aiming in the direction that I want to aim and part, <laughs> no. like myself and I'm kind of too much of a loose loose lips lady with the talking about stuff because honestly it's like of course this is a part of my story and like yeah. I care a lot but you know there's insensitive insensitivities that happen but yeah. again like everybody's best is not your best the way that I treat it because I've worked with kids now I've played a mom or I've played like a caretaker of a kid and I just treat them like an adult like with the same respect that you treat a grown human. And you can just imagine yourself in their situation, anything they'd be freaking out about. It's like, yeah, we're over. Like we should have gone to lunch like 20 minutes ago. Everybody's hungry and the kid's crying. It's not a big problem. It's like, we just need to feed the kid. I'm mm. hungry too. And I would like a snack. <laughs> <laughs> and more snacks. Did you ever feel like, cause you know, as long as I had known you, which is also very in a distant way. And I never felt like we, you know, we didn't work together for very long. I think my one episode of the nanny, I don't even know if I was like, Man, if we I, actually worked together, worked together. You know? together. Yeah, we didn't. You right. Know what's funny about that is that I actually wanted to try to find a picture of it just to show. Us too. I know we're trying I to fit. I'm sure you can find it. You just have to yeah, find the episode and then you've exactly. got to actually you know, scroll through because yeah, scroll it's through awesome. and, and dig. Young, I know we're, we're going to dig in. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, my, but my, my question is like, you always seemed though, like you, at least like you were very professional. You seemed very, you know, as you put it, like excited to be part of the show, that show and on sets and meeting people and really engaged. And you didn't ever strike me as somebody that was intimidated by what you were doing or, or people around you and stuff. And so largely then, right. If you're having a really good experience, you know, I guess it, it begs that question of like, where then does that veer off? And all of a sudden you feel like you're being talked to and baby, like, like when you say, there's, there's you moments, know, these, these yeah. little quick moments where somebody loses their temper or where they're just unkind or where they talk to everybody, but they don't talk to you. It's mm -hmm. like these one yeah. or two little moments that for the adult having the moment, 
they would never think of it. It would never stick in their mind. But yeah. for a sensitive little young human new to the world and absorbing everything around itself, they make a bigger impact. Yeah. But then I also was like, maybe I was over exaggerating certain things in my mind. And but then I would go and talk to other people and be get confirmation that I wasn't crazy and that everything I was thinking and feeling was very much reality. So well, yeah, I mean, environments like sets where attentions can run high, emotions can run high, and people can definitely act out. There can be a lot of tempers flaring. There can be a lot of arguments because there can be a lot of stress to that job for a lot of people. And I totally, I mean, my first movie I ever did at like seven years old, you know, there's an actress that shall not be named playing my mother and she lost it one day. And I will mm. never forget. It was years of me sort of sitting there thinking, are they going to lose it like that? You know, just uh, looking at other people through that lens because mm. I just assumed that that was fairly normal behavior. I didn't strike. I didn't trouble me necessarily. I just thought it was normal, you know. And there's not many other environments you're in as a kid besides your home life where that's even that possible, you know. I mean, totally. maybe there's sports games or something, but you know, there's not a whole lot of um, yeah. There there aren't that many environments that kids are exposed to where that that could potentially happen. But then also there's a level of professionalism and a level of uh, accountability and and a street smart thing that you get from human beings, from that kind of interaction with human beings, hmm. an understanding of group dynamics that you can't teach in a class. Like True. you can feel the rhythm of a set when all the energy is sagging and when something isn't landing and you can feel the tension like go out of the crew members when something lands because they go, oh, we actually are doing something that's cool and not a total waste of time. It's a completely natural thing, but you couldn't explain it really to anybody else how to do that or how to understand it. Madeline, do you mean being a kid like that's a skill that you learn being a kid on set that you wouldn't be you wouldn't uh, get being a normal kid in regular life? It's just time. I think mm. it's just like sheer hours in. Like if you're if your dad's a carpenter and you spend all your time like watching him do woodwork, you're going to know how to like hammer things together. And it's just time on a set where like I've spent 33 years on sets mm. and that just can't be. And that's why I tried to translate it into directing and have tried. I did I directed my first short film which at one point I was Thank you, Chris, for one of the roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's bring this up because okay. I told AJ this and, and you know, we were talking about what we we're going to talk about. And I said, you know, maybe one question I should ask is like, you hit me up being like, yo, I think we, I want to do this short film yeah. I, that I'm going to write and direct and I'd love for you to be in it. And I feel like there was some talk you were like, we're going to go to Mexico. There was some, some cool aspect. And then I was like, great, I'm in. Just count me in. And then I feel like we didn't ever talk ever again. And I thought I was like, maybe I missed a phone call in my head or I forgot yeah. about something. No, so so there was. Did you just meet somebody way better, or you were like, or I was Plan C? What happened? Not at all, Chris. First of all, like I said on the that, phone before to you, nice my to mom says me. you're a, a comic genius, and I want to congratulate you on <laughs> your work right. on Barry, which made me so happy to see you on oh, there. I was thank like, you. Oh, so good, always so good. Um, no, I loved you, and I thought you were great for the role. I just stopped. I wasn't in it anymore. I both didn't do the deal with with that producer from Mexico because he wanted to own the the script and I wrote it and I I just didn't want to give away the rights. He was going to give me 30 grand to do it, but then I just I walked away from the deal. There were some weird things in the deal that I was just like, ah, I want to own it. If I if I want to turn it into anything else, probably not. I'm not going to make money on the short, but I want to own it. I wrote it. It's yeah. it's hard for me sure to write. Works. My sister's an amazing writer, but like for me it's it's like 
pulling teeth. So I just decided that I wasn't going to be in it, that I was going to just direct it. And then that was a total like a cast change. So my sister was in it and we just did a table read with her and her friend Chasen. And they were just so good together and they already had the relationship and they were so natural and like right that that was well, I'm that glad i'm glad cat. it's water under the bridge now i'm glad i got a full <laughs> transparent that's the thing when you direct something that you realize how kind of insignificant actors are in the first place just like yeah. you just need to kind of like hit your marks and do your things and then like things will be all right you know just don't blow it but you think it's all on you to make yeah. it oh yeah the world like to be atlas and it's just not Nobody, no, it's not at all. In fact, you're not. a very small cog in the wheel, I think is what happens. Yeah. I think when you spend a lot of time and enough time on set, especially like someone as you spend your whole life on set and lots of them and lots of different kinds of sets with lots of very talented people, you're for sure going to get a peek behind the, the very, it's not even a curtain. I mean, it shouldn't be a curtain for a lot of actors. It, it is unfortunately, but yeah, you all of a sudden realize like, oh yeah, this is like the last little part of the puzzle that can be hugely elevating and wonderfully important, but for a lot of the time, it is just a like, yeah, man, just uh, just be the end product. You know, there was a there was you have no idea how much work went into just this. Yeah, it's like that one day that exists between the months of pre-production and then the months of post-production. You're in the years of writing and the years yeah. of fundraising and the you know, it's like and the years that are going to come afterwards into making this see the light of day. Like there's there's so much to it than just the audition or the the one day of actual shooting. And, and you know how that really landed on me is when I remembered my stand in, but they didn't remember me because they were too busy working on <laughs> Time. Um, and I was like, we've worked together before. And she's like, I don't know. She was my <laughs> had no idea who I was. I was like, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll, you know, I'll get back to you about it. And she, you know, like the, the world were totally reversed. Like, and then like two weeks later on Californication, she's like, You're right, we did work together on this thing. I can't believe you remembered. I'm like, Well, you know, I was just so happy to be working and just like never stopped working. So it's not a thing to her. There was something you touched on earlier, Madeline, which was pay disparity between kid actors and adult actors. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's a real thing that kid actors are paid less for the same type of work? Well, I know for a fact on the nanny it was and, you know. And and the other thing people don't think of is is then there's also like an adult or a guardian that has to be there with the kid. They're not paid. Mm -hmm. They just have to show up for free. Yeah, that's true. They have to donate their time. Well, in my case, I had I had a nanny uh, because my sisters, we were all on shows. At one point, Vanessa was on a, a show called Murder One with Daniel Benzali and Stanley Tucci, which was a um, I can't remember Stephen Bochco show. And then Yvonne was on ER and I was on the nanny. So at one point we were all on network shows and we were all just like busy. So my mom had to hire help. So she yeah. was paying people to like look after us. Yeah, mine too with with my brothers as well. By the way, I got to I got to shadow on the show that your brother was on. Oh, really? Yeah, so I finally got to, I felt like maybe I met Sean like a long time ago randomly at a maybe. party or something, but yeah. I finally got to actually talk to him when I shadowed on Schools. No I shadowed way. Christine Lakin who's also a child actor and made the transition yeah. beautifully into directing and she's such a fabulous director. But yeah, I was like I was like it was so funny to see like a little mini you. And then Yvonne Yvonne got on that show as a like a dialogue coach. So she was working there all the time. And it was so. Interesting. Oh, no way. Hmm. That yeah. is so strange. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've been lucky enough, I think maybe as you and I and, and my brother have been and your sister where you, you know, can carve out a, a full career as, as an adult, um, regardless of all the 
pitfalls and or roller coaster ride, you know, you you you'll forever run into the same people, you know, which it's, is there's no it's so there's bizarre no, sometimes. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of nice. Kind of like an it is, it's really nice. family. Yeah. I always think about being on set kind of like a little life, you know, you're yeah. like born into this family, which is the crew and the, you know, cast and you kind of have to suss out who your friends and maybe not so friendlies are. And yeah. then you've got to develop these relationships and bond and like get through the filming and then it's over and yeah. then you're going to have to let go. And yeah. it, and it kind of teaches you it, it's, it's weird. It's like, you know, like when you're on set and you're in the middle of a conversation and then you've got to go yeah, mm -hmm. and like that you just like, effortlessly let go of whatever yeah. you were both intensely talking about that was like mind blowing and awesome. And then <laughs> yeah. you're like, I'll be right back, you know, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of a, that's a, such a bizarre thing to be able it to is. learn how to let go yeah. in, in a world where we have to put a lot of, we have a lot of skin in the game as far yeah. as like our lives are concerned and making it the best life we can. It's, it's a lot of effort. But the, but the letting go thing is something that people never learn how to do. And I think you have to learn how to do it in order to survive as long as you have in the industry. Because oh, the, sure. the letting yeah. go is part of surviving. You, you said something actually that we skipped through for a second. And that was AJ asked you about the sort of disparity pay. And you said the nanny. And the way you you sort of said it gave me this feeling that like there's something there that either bothered you back then or at a certain point. And I'm just wondering what that is. Like what Well, that you just is. learn you learn what everyone's getting paid when you're on a set. Yeah. I mean, as an adult, do you learn as a kid? Like, did you learn like you're sitting there at what? Thir 12 years old. And, and suddenly you, someone's like, man, 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 $80,000 an episode. And you're like, what? that's not, that's yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You overhear <laughs> what other people are making. And then you realize what you're making and you feel less than, and you're already treated as less than. Right. So it's, it's, it's not great. And you're there the same amount of time. And you're there more because you're banking hours. You have to go in on a, on a day on your off. Right. Just to bank school hours, right? Well, for you too, I mean, it's so interesting because you're one, you're on that show for how long? Eight years? Like a long, long time, six right? From, six uh, years. You're from six, six, we did the pilot, seven, it got picked up. So seven to 13, six years. Wow. And that's not only, we can talk about the, the human side of this, just sort of growing into your adolescence. Oh, I know. It's like time. the developmental but years. The d hugely developmental years, but also too that that it's that that consistent of a job. Like not many kid actors we know had that consistent of a job through through a period of their childhood. Did you see the Showbiz Kids documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah. The Alex Winter documentary. Yeah, yeah it's so great. I worked but with even Alex then, Winter and you know, I was like, never called me for this. But by the way, <laughs> you probably had no idea. I did wonder that. that. I was like, I was like, how do you get to this? And I wonder how many people feel snubbed. Um, <laughs> exactly. Like, and I'm like, hmm, interesting choices here. But what they were saying was like 95% of kids who come here or 99% who come here to book stuff don't book anything at yeah, all. I, bet. I mean, that is the that is the statistic of actors, no matter what age you are. You know, it's like SAG, I believe, like the SAG statistics are 99% of actors yeah, don't, don't work, you know, and I don't know if anybody knows that outside of the entertainment industry, but. I feel incredibly lucky that I've worked twice this year and I'm one of the few people I know who weren't already on shows who who can yeah. say that like yeah but yeah if but, you work more than like, once a year you're like in the top one percent of all oh, actors for sure yeah. one thing I want to touch on with the working on the nanny from six to 13 I'm curious about uh, Madeline is that's an age 
you change so much from six to 13. You may be an entirely different person between six and 13. <laughs> you probably yeah. are. And as a young person, you should have the freedom to change. But when you put a, someone at seven and going to the age of 13 in a professional setting, there's a very serious expectation that you're not going to change, that they need you to be the same day in and day out because this television show relies on you to a certain extent. What was that experience like for you? Did you feel like they were... they that? you were able to grow and change the way that you needed to, to become yourself or were, was it restrictive in any way? No, because we were such low men on the totem pole. No one gave a flag fuck about the kids <laughs> on the nanny. Okay. I really? Mean, really? Yeah. I mean, nobody was really like, Oh, we've got to keep her the young, cute one. That was never really a thing. If it was, I wasn't aware of it. I felt sort of like a, like, you know, just a piece of the furniture that needed to be there for the, the conceit of the show to work. Other other than that, I don't think that anybody really cared that much. It, or really? you no, know, maybe I'm wrong about that. But yeah. that was sort of like maybe the feeling that I got. I have two questions for that. One is first is did was there ever a time then like are you suddenly 11 years old and you the new season's about to start and you're like in that summer gained total new interests in life you're like the last thing I want to do is go back to the set and do this job. Like no. was there ever a time where you totally decided I. Or even just wavered slightly where suddenly you're going, oh, this is a little not when as I was, exciting. When I was 11, I was really into The Simpsons. Who wasn't? And I mm. thought I was going to be an animator on The Simpsons. I was kind of good at drawing. And so at one point I wanted to do that. But I had gone away a few times and done other work. So I, I worked on this film with Glenn Headley, God Rest Her Soul, and Tom Irwin. What was the name of that one? It was called The Sandy Bottom Orchestra. It was oh, based yeah. on a Garrison Keillor novel. And I had such a fantastic experience on that. It completely transformed the way I looked at acting. And I also just wanted to do that for the rest of my life, like work with people who were, you know, because because a, a TV show can be like a machine yeah. and like films are a lot more like a love affair. And I just felt really loved and seen and appreciated. And I was treated like an equal on that. And I think there is something like you were saying, AJ, about a certain view that people have of you that doesn't change as you as you age out of it and that def i probably experienced some of that where maybe people were still seeing me as the little kid and i wasn't a little kid anymore and i also you know understood everything that was going on on set so like they didn't have to hide things from me things that i already intuitively understood and knew but that they would act a little cagey around me and i was always really like weirded out that, that they're trying to protect me i guess that almost made me feel more like disrespected, weirdly. But is that the complex of the young kid actor where you're on a set and you know you're a kid and you but you know you have to act like an adult to a certain degree? Well, when, and and you're sitting there almost like, you know, maybe like any kid might in their household when their parents are still when they're old enough to know the curse word, but their parents are still spelling it out and they're going, Hey, you know what? Fuck you, Dad. I know what you're saying. You know, is there is that the reaction? Or are people just sort of like being patronizing and well do you mean like is it is it more like something that you that you're perceiving that might not be there or is it something that they're actually like perpetrating like a part exactly of? yeah yeah and i think about this a lot because perspective is everything but when somebody's voice goes four octaves higher than what their normal voice is and they yeah. go do you understand you know then <laughs> you kind of go yeah, that doesn't quite feel like you're being normal. With I see. Yeah, right. I see. So, like, I think there... that I, was, I was quite aware of those kind of things. And, and just because we're we're obviously we're having a one-handed conversation, where maybe the other person on the other side, just to play devil's advocate, is, do you think that those are the types of people who just don't know how to be around kids, or you just think that they're people that are just 
dumb dumbs and being really condescending. It could also be both. Buttheads. It could be a combination, and just like every second, we're different. Honestly, you know, like every yeah. second, we're a different version of ourselves. So, like mm. sometimes something will come out funny. I know that, like you know, in a in an audition, you feel like you can do it the same way every time. But for me, I can't. I'm not mm. much of a repeater, and so it'll come out kind of weird. Like I lost control of myself in the middle of a sentence. And so I think people are like that too, especially if they feel like they have to be a certain way around a kid. So mm. then they feel uptight and they can't be themselves. And so then that might come off strange. This so is there's a, that. I, I love this point. I can't believe it's taken me this long to even think about this, but here we go, is we compartmentalize as adults, we compartmentalize children in so many ways, unless you're a teacher or somebody that works with young people. And so you have your way that you interact with children. Maybe it's at home because you have your own or their friends or whatever. And then you have your work life, which is you're around adults and you're a professional. You go to film school, you do all of this stuff, you, you learn your craft, you learn your trade, you're at work with adults. And then all of a sudden somebody throws a kid on set and you're supposed to know how to interact with a young person, with a child, and some of these people just fall flat on their face. They have no idea because it's not like you have to take a special class to now work with kids on set. They're just there trying to figure it out. Like, how do I take what I know about being around children and now apply it to a professional setting? That's a strange thing for them too, I bet, the adults on set, not just the kids. Hmm. Yeah, because they feel like they're not with another human being. And that's the <laughs> weird part. It's like, well... You're just with another human being who you used to be like. I mean, inside myself, there's a six-year-old. There's a 16-year-old. You know, um, I kind of think there's a 60-year-old in there, too, um, <laughs> that I'm living in more nowadays. But, you know, inside yourself, you're still the little kid. And so when people have had their own trauma and they have disconnected so much from their playful self, then may project that onto a child as well. So, you know, I mean, also it's an industry of a lot of damaged people. If we're going to be really honest about it, it's, it's a bunch of damaged people. I feel like in some ways I was less damaged because I didn't come here from some other place thinking I'm the prettiest girl in freaking Oklahoma. Come and look at me like that wasn't my, but that's a lot of people who come to LA. This was just what, this was just like, it chose me. This was my life. And then I just got lucky enough to continue to evolve with it and find things about it that I loved. And, and for all the time that I've spent on set, I've wanted to like, to turn that into directing and other parts. Cause this is my only skill set. You guys, I don't have a plan B <laughs> it's, it's this or nothing. I mean, I can't, I don't even have. I don't even have like the skills to be a janitor. You know, you need experience for that job. So then just out of curiosity, like what have you ever entertained another specific idea? Have you ever said, you know what? I'm, I would go back to school and become a teacher or I would or a become beekeeper. a janitor or a beekeeper. <laughs> Maybe a farmer. Maybe a farmer. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm really I just more like, you know, you love what you love. You love who you love. Yeah. You really can't. I, I just I still love it. I still yeah. love me. I was just got to be on a set a couple of weeks back during the quarantine times. And I just love it. I mean, there's nothing like just getting to sit with people that you would otherwise never meet, hear about their lives, hear about their stories, ask them questions. Like I love humans and I love connecting with humans. And there's something about a set environment that is just my sweet spot. And I want to do that the rest of my life. When I think about doing anything else, it makes me incredibly 
brokenhearted. And yeah. and it's like being in love with somebody who will never really love you back. Part of the reason that I've had relationship issues. But <laughs> anyway, it's just like it's just what I love. I mean, I I hope to make more stuff with my sister. My sister, I just have to give her a shout out because she's writing on a HBO Max show right now. Oh she's yeah. Like, you mentioned from, that to AJ. Yeah, you told yeah, me. She went so she's writing on our flag means death, which is a Taika Waititi pirate show. That is so dope. It's that is so, so cool. dope. I'm yeah. so proud of her. She made this amazing transition. And like, all I want to do is make cool shit with my, with the people I think are talented. And yeah. it, it will happen with us one day, Chris. We were supposed yeah, to do some other make... movie too. Yeah, we were supposed to do something years back. Movie or something. And then I, I got, I got some other job, I think. And I don't know. That yeah. didn't work out. Madeline, one, one day. One of the things that I'm really fascinated about, and this is something that you and Chris share, but I do not, and I'm I'm so curious to hear your take on it, is starting acting at two. It's not a conscious decision. It's just something that you do. And then one day you come into consciousness and you realize that you're acting. And in your case, you ended up loving it. You really enjoyed this thing that you were doing. But I'm curious to know if uh, Chris is waiting to chime in. I can see him. You guys listening? I do. To the I have a question. I just want to. I want to just throw on the end of this, but keep going. Yeah, that's Sorry. fine. So, so you come to, you realize it you, that you're acting. You happen to love it. Do you think that anybody that finds themselves working as an actor is is definitely going to enjoy it because it's just one of those jobs that's so enjoyable if you're lucky enough to be able to do it? Or do you think that it was unique for you and that you just happen to have the disposition to be an actor and you it's something special for you? Do you want to chime in too, Chris? Or do well, you yeah, want me to- I, well, yeah, yeah, I want you to get to that, but I, I do want to chime in only because you said something a few minutes ago. Just you, just really casually, you said, you know, the it's not like you moved here from Oklahoma. Like I'm pretty look at me, but you said you you feel like you know acting chose you or the job chose you, and just that I was like, you know, I one I really relate to it, but two I just wanted you to expand on that more and how much that has been maybe a part of the narrative of your life or or how you got to that feeling. You know. So I'll I'll combine I'll try to combine both of these. So AJ, like the reason that I booked the job at 28 months, which was like the Downey commercial or whatever, it was a national campaign, and you know, just I booked it. It was an open call, so I booked it out of a thousand other babies. Mm-hmm. I was the one baby that wasn't crying. I was there having a good time. Mm. I was playing. It was always make believe. It was always playtime, and an extension of me playing with my Barbies, which I would do for like five hours a day. I was just like always make believe was just always what I was naturally drawn to. And then it was just like make believe with grown, grown Barbies and like adults that also could do that. I mean, it was just, it's always been just kind of that. And there are people on set, which I saw, you know, not that long ago where they just set life is not for them and they don't get it. They don't have the patience. They don't understand process or appreciate it where they're just like, "Mm -hmm." Like, okay, like, mucho, take it easy. This is not for you. I get it. You spent your money on uh, in college uh, on a film education, but why? Because you shouldn't be on a set. Maybe you should be in an accountant room or something like that because it's just not (laughs) for you, bro. Like, it's just not for everybody. And, And I think you have to kind of 
be a, a, a unique type of person for it to really fit you and make sense for you. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. So then does that, maybe that answers my question. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but is that that you, you out of a, out a thousand babies, they put you in front of some bright lights and some cameras or in some strange, weird casting room where all these strangers are looking at you and they go, Hey, Madeline, will you pretend like you're rolling around in some laundry detergent? And you're like, yay. And you just enjoy it. And it doesn't matter. And that's how it feels like it yeah. shows you just in that you were like, it was oh, just yeah, like effortless. And like, you just like. And you're an anomaly because you, a thousand babies get in there and go, no, and you get in there and you're like, I kind of dig this guys. (laughs) No, I totally, 1 million percent. I'm curious to know too, knowing that you and your two sisters were all successful actors, was there a nurture thing involved here with you having this disposition? Well, well, this is what I was wondering too, is how do you even get there to begin with? I mean, do your parents just on a whim, like how do you know that story? Like how do your parents, how do you get to the audition for the Downey commercial at 28 months old? So my mom, so it was my mom obviously was like, my mom and dad, man, they're such, they're such weirdos. You know I mean? I love them and they're so flawed. And I've always just looked at them and I was like, wow, just make different mistakes. Don't make those ones. (laughs) But now I've come to really like appreciate both their deficiencies and their strengths and that their deficiencies are just as much a part of my strength as their strengths. Um, But anyway, my mom just randomly took me. She grew up super poor. She was the oldest of seven kids. And, you know, they were fighting for food in her house. And she was just trying to set. I mean, it was a fluke. She took me on an open call and I booked it. And it was like back in the day, you could make close to 100 grand on a national commercial. Yeah. And that, and then she was like, well, wow. I'm going to keep popping these babies out. I'm going to make well, a business out that. of it. <laughs> I'm, I, no, it was more just like, I'm going to set up her college fund. I'm going to set her up in life. She was the only one of her sisters and brothers that went to college. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just, she was just different. And she was always an artist and creative. She ran a dance studio and, and then, you know, it was just kind of this thing that just happened. I don't know. And, and definitely because of her force and her energy, was part of my success 100%. And she was just trying to set us up in life kind of. And honestly, if I didn't have that, and if I didn't have grateful for the nanny, because that's, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know where I would be with my life. I don't know what I would be doing. I don't know if I'd be without my sisters and the specific way that my life has panned out. I don't know if I wouldn't have turned to drugs and like, you know, become like a a true Hollywood story type vibe. You know, I don't know. So I'm grateful, even though it's weird. No, it's not at all. From the outside, though, it's people I think that don't maybe haven't lived the life of a former kid actor. You know, I think like all of us have. I feel like a lot of people since we launched this, a lot of people said to us, they at least online, they go, oh, I'm so curious to know if, if whose parents forced them to do it. And I was like, oh, and I forget that's like a huge question in people's minds. It's almost like another watermark on former kid actors mm-hmm. is parents forcing them to do it. So when I hear your story, I don't. It th- that doesn't come to my mind, but I realize it might come to other people's. People might hear that and go, "Wait, wait, wait!" So they just thought, "Oh, I'm going to pay for my college kids' fund by getting them into this 
business and getting them a commercial and maybe making them a hundred grand in a year or so. And then your siblings. And like, so I guess what my, my question is, is like, did you, did you ever feel like that in particular? Was ever a time young, even if you misinterpreted or, or was there ever a time where you thought, why did you do this mom? Or why am I here? Or what did you ever feel oh, like sure. it I wasn't your her. decision? I blamed her when things were going bad, for sure. When I was in <laughs> yeah. jobs and like when things, you know, weren't, weren't clicking the way that, you know, cause I don't know. Anyway, I've always had just enough success in the industry to like keep me involved, you know, and just enough, like, just enough, like of that carrot getting closer and closer to my face where I'm like, <laughs> I almost booked, but I almost booked, but I almost booked this giant <laughs> fucking thing that changed everybody else's lives. So like, it's yeah. my moment. Trust me, Madeline. Th th this is my joke with AJ, which we've said on here before. Is I'm like, I'm either I'm about nine, six to nine months away from being so comfortable or destitute and like committing suicide. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm just right in the middle there, where I always feel like, yeah, the carrots dangle. It's a dangled. precarious life, but it then is. it does teach you to have to not take yourself too seriously and to yeah. have an amazing sense of humor and be able, and it gives you kind of a set of skills through the tough times where you can ride that wave and you're like, yeah. I know what this is all about. I've been through some shit, you know, and yeah. other people just don't experience that in their lives. They, they don't have any idea what uh, coming close to like a, a role that got someone else an Emmy or like whatever feels like. You know, no, no I mean, so, look, at, at the end of the day, too, there's also, you know, what I've learned, too, is in my life as an adult actor is that occasionally when I bitched a little bit out loud, I have found I've had friends and I've had people I've worked with that have said, like, man, you know, there's like literally 99% of actors would be so thrilled to have even the smallest amount of opportunity that you do sometimes. And then I get slapped in the face with it and I go, oh, yeah. And it, everything's relative, right? You know, it's like, you know, you, you, the line in the sand does move, you know, for everybody in life in ways. So that, you know, that there's a certain amount of, of maybe my complaining or, or some of the things I struggled with that I'm totally fine, you know, letting myself um, feel. But then there's another part that does get that where I go like, I don't know, sometimes I think because I was a kid actor, because I built up a resume um, as a kid, that it has afforded me an opportunity as an adult and as an actor that I definitely would not have unless I had that. And, the same. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who are bitter about that as well, yeah. who also go, oh man, like, cause they kind of wish that they had the foothold in the door that we got when we were pre-conscious. Yeah, so yeah. I know I could, if I had to join SAG, I would not be able to do it now. If I had yeah. to do it now, I'm like, oh, I want to be an actor. Do you know how expensive it is to join SAG now? Yeah, it's so expensive. I know. I and could not do it. I don't know how yeah. anybody does it. I don't know how anyone breaks in now. I know me either. And, and always like, they're like, do you have any advice? I'm like, Listen, listen, <laughs> I don't have any advice because I don't know what happened. I don't know how any of this happened. Do, do yeah. you think it's harder? Do you think it's harder to be a former kid actor and make the transition to becoming an adult or be newly arrived in Hollywood at between 18 and 22 and enter right into becoming an adult? Actor? Newly arrived, dude, not Is even a question. Harder? Is yeah. it harder? I don't know. Well, one is psychologically easier. It's obviously easier to get off the bus and like book a job and be like, I'm a superstar, you That's know, like, yeah. or like us, I think we have like more of a, uh, um, I should only speak for myself. I, uh, but I, I have a more very, very bizarre view of myself. Like, I think I almost see myself through other people's lenses and I've had to learn to like, take that away Yeah. because mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if they see me like this, which is like made me feel like this. So then I have to be like this. 
which is always, very strange. I felt more like that. I felt more like old news kind of like when I was between 18 and 22, like they wanted the new fresh faces that just arrived in Los Angeles, not the pe- person that's been on TV for 10 years. Yeah. Welcome to being a woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what it feels like to age out as a woman, bro. Um, that's but also too, like. I mean, uh, also too, and I'm sure Madeline, you, you please tell me you've gone through this because I know you, you de- almost definitely have. But that where you like you all of a sudden you're in your late 20s and you're in an audition room, probably the same audition room that you've been in since you were 14. It still has that same and, stain on the carpet. You're like, yeah. why did they get that? There's still the same, like yeah, the same ago. name on the door, but. But you 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 look around and like there are there are these faces that just got off a bus that have no cynicism or jadedness at all that have never really worked in your capacity and that are sitting there being like this is so exciting and you're like go fuck yourself like there might be just like you don't how why how yeah am you I just here? kind of you know? go like wow yeah <laughs> wow I remember and what that feels like a little bit but then you kind of go okay well what's that okay you know you that's yeah. not right but it affords us a level of self awareness to go. I don't know if I should carry that around anymore, you know, and I certainly know that I have tried to pay for my, you know, success with every failure that I have endured and that Mm. that is not the way that success comes. It doesn't come with you go like, look at my 30 years of rejection. I'm going to throw in this world. It's your problem. You deal with it. Like that doesn't quite work, but I have done that. I have made like every kind of bad mistake you can make. And now I realize you go where the love is. And like to me, and I go where the, where the joy is. I'm going to be in pre-production soon for something that I wrote with my sisters. That's about, you know, us and about our like experiences as child actors and like how we kind of have arrested development, but that some of that is lovely in a way because the, you know, I recently had to do some like financial stuff online and they have these like things, like all these questions, your security questions, right? Which is like, who did you go to high school with? Who was your best friend in blah, blah, blah? Who was your first, who was your maid at your wedding or best, whatever matron of honor? I don't know. I'm like, these questions don't apply to my life because I have not (laughs) lived a normal life. Never went to high school, never went to college, never had a wedding. And I moved around so much. I don't remember what my childhood street was like. This is not I I was so angry. And a lot of society is about us being inside these bumpers on a bowling alley lane and going towards the finish line. And it doesn't give a lot of room for other kinds of lives. And those other kinds of lives are really important. I mean, Tesla dropped out of college like you know, Einstein wasn't, uh, didn't go to norm, like dropped out of school. We need these outliers for our society to be able to look in and go, Hey, maybe we need to make a better society because this is not working for anyone. This is creating so much pain and suffering around us. And like it, and we need, we need art to reflect back the problems that we are looking at and seeing. Okay, listeners, this is where we're going to take a little intermission with our interview with Madeline Zima. We are going to come back next week with part two. We just didn't feel like we wanted to cut anything out of this wonderful interview. So we kept it essentially almost entirely intact for you guys. Um, So we really hope you enjoyed what you heard so far. Really hope you tune back in to hear the remainder of Madeline's fascinating life uh, and all that she shares with us. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Chris and I really appreciate it. If you could leave us a rating, that would be huge. If you could give us a review, thank you so much. If you have a friend that you think would find this stuff interesting and you want to share it with them, we would really, really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening and tune in next week. 